Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider-tuck, the amazing spider-tuck, come swing the air, sit back and prepare for the Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of the new AmazingSpiderTalk.com. Seriously, it's new. Go check it out. And it is fantastic, Dan. And I am the mischievous Marchinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Not a new book, but, you know, still you should check it out. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks everybody for joining us for this special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Today, we're going to be rounding up part three of our Patreon reviews of The Hunted as Spider-Man, the Lizard, and Kraven square off and not all of them walk away alive. That's right. We're going to be reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 21 to 23, also known as Legacy 822 to 824. Remember, everyone, this episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. So if you, yes, you want to enjoy the show and help us to continue doing it while getting amazing bonus content like the reviews we're about to talk about today when they were originally released on our Patreon, go to our show notes and check out the Patreon page and consider joining our team. Let's give a huge special thank you uh, to our brand new, incredibly generous patrons. That includes Jason DiPaolo, Dusty Morgan, and Gene Ramsey. Well, thanks everybody for helping us out. That All that patronage has been put to good use. I've just completely rebuilt AmazingSpiderTalk.com, like I said at the top, for all kinds of new functionality and ease for you guys enjoying the show. So go check it out if you want to help us out. It gets put to good use for things like that. And we're doing all kinds of new things on the Patreon, like reviews of the amazing Absolute Carnage series that's going on right now. I'm going to be bringing on some extra special guests to talk about it. Even Mark will be joining in uh, when he feels like it. I know you're not the hottest guy on symbiotes in the current day and age, Mark. It's it's not about my thing about symbiotes. I, I, I'll, I'll be there to talk about it, Dan. I promise. All right, great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm loving Absolute Carnage, so come join us for the fun over there on that. Absolutely. But uh, before we get to that, why don't we get to this, which is our current action, our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 21. What's new? Very excited to talk about this issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Yes, today we are going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 21, also known as Legacy 822. 
it's the fifth part of the hunted storyline regular, I guess. Yes. But really kind of like the sixth part, but then there's also the HU issues. We're deep into this thing. It's what we're trying to say. And I don't want to jump right in and you know put anything forward for you, Mark, but like we've been frustrated by the kind of slow momentum of this or slow to dead momentum of this hunted storyline. Qu- asking you question mark, did this issue do anything for you to kind of like ease that trouble? Um, yeah, well, it's worth noting this is the penultimate issue, regardless of what part it is. I mean, this is the this. Am I right? This there's one more chapter after this, or is there more? That's what I've been led to believe. But with Marvel events, you never know. They always seem to sneak in that like Secret Wars number nine or whatever. Yeah, that Omega issue. Well, according to the checklist, it's the penultimate. So, I mean, yeah, it's about time. I mean, so. Yes, it moves things forward. It, is it uh, is it enough? Is it good enough and and riveting enough to be like, well, you know, that makes up for all the the glacial pacing earlier in this story. Eh, I don't know about that, but like, at least we get something here. It's a step in the right direction. You just want to be, I think, further along in the right direction at this stage in the game of a of a multi-part story like this, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's a couple of things that really kind of make elevate this book beyond what we were getting. One of them being like, yeah, we get a little bit of narrative momentum here. I don't know why we needed so much setup to get to this point, especially as we'll talk later that some of it doesn't necessarily all really like make a ton of sense how it fits together. But the big thing for me is that this book finally gets back into Peter's headspace. And I finally was like, okay, Spider-Man is back to being a part of this story again. You know, and then the other thing that I feel kind of elevates the story a bit is Gerardo Sandoval's art. I mean, I really feels like it's, it's the story feels appropriately dark and grim and kind of violent and, and, and chaotic, especially in the vermin attacking Spider-Man sections. And, and Sandoval really nails a lot of the art and the, and the, and the dynamic nature of those pages in this, uh, issue. I feel more so than what we've been getting in past issues of the storyline. I totally agree with you there. I thought this was a step up for his stuff too. I even liked a lot of his talking heads in this, they're not as I think as expressive as Ramos's, but like they totally work for me here. I think the one image that didn't really work for me in this issue is the giant one of Craven standing there with his hands, you know, like kind of crossed. Yeah. It was just kind of a boring design. Um, like, I guess, you know, Sandoval's stuff needs a bit of mute movement, I think to really kind of like sing, but um, you know, it's funny. It's a very violent book with a lot of like, you know, tearing and gnashing and stuffed full pages. But like at the same time, there's way less like loss going on in this book than I want. Like we get this early moment with the vulture getting like a battle report, you know, from his like sides of the battle as they're taking out some robots and killing the people back in the, you know, Plaza hotel. But we're neither seeing the loss of the people controlling the robots or any of Vulture's people dying. So you're like, well, like it just seems like they don't want to take the risk of killing any of the rogues in this. Like, I mean, right. look, nobody wants to kill Razorback, but like, right. if you're going to try to sell me the dramatic stakes of this, at least be willing to kill off some D-list, you know, animal themed characters. 
We could kill Tarantula again, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody would really uh, have cried that much about it. I mean, like, even like the White Rabbit, she died in the pages of the online digital-only Jessica Jones comic from a couple of months back, um, and nobody batted an eye there. Um, but I guess because they, they brought her back. Although I guess Mary Jane also died in that comic. Uh, oh, wow. And was brought back. Did you read this book? No, I did not. <laughs> uh, notable for killing Mary Jane and bringing her back to life. Ah, that's, 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 wow. I had no idea. The, the, the things I miss. Um, it's actually an excellent comic, but to the point, let's, if, you're, if you want to set these stakes, give me some losses. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, like, let's, uh, I, I think it's worth noting, I mean, since we've been kind of beating around the bush with it, I mean, in terms of where we're finally, you know, what is Craven's master plan? I mean, I think let's talk about it at least in terms of thematically, which was kind of what we were guessing all along, which was he wants, he wants to push Spider-Man into doing something dark and, you know, against, against the character, you know, against his code, um, you know, whether that be to kill, to be violent, I mean, whatever. Um, and, we kind of saw this one coming from the get-go. It still is very unclear to me why we needed this grand scheme of his with Arcade and all these rogues and, and everything. But like, you know, again, in terms of going on the positive side of things, like what's always funny to me is with Craven's Last Hunt, you know, famously as J.N. Demetrius, the writer of that story, said on this podcast many, many years ago, I mean, that was originally a Batman story, right? Um, and it feels like a Batman story in its own unique way. And like reading this comic and looking at the art and, and just some of the themes, like this really felt like, like a version of Arkham Asylum. You know what I mean? Like, and then I think it's, it's really the first time the story has felt that way. So maybe that means it's starting to click in that way. Again, it's the second to last chapter. You would have liked to see this sooner. At least I feel like thematically and tonally it's, it's where it should be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's the first time since the first part of the story that I felt that way. I, I, I mean, it's just that we get Craven, you know, insisting on calling Spider-Man Spider, you right. know. Um, but I liked how that was kind of used as a way to leverage, you know, the difference between the Spider element of his personality and the kind of like what Craven calls like the weak man that the Spider has chosen to inhabit, and that he's trying to bring the Spider out and. uh you know, I, I, I like that element of it. It actually feels very in keeping with, like, not only the history of the character and all the weird totemic stuff that we've gotten in the wake of Craven's Last Hunt, but it feels like something, a logical extension of Craven's Last Hunt. Like, if he's not going to kill Spider-Man and best him, he better just, like, make him more like Craven in some way. And I, I, I thought that was actually really interesting. And if it's a long ploy to push the character to the point that he's okay with killing Craven. Um, I, it makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, it's the, we, we, we seem to finally have a, a reasonable path to that conclusion. Whereas we really didn't have it before. I mean, it still feels very overdone, but again, at least we have a path, um, which is more than what it could have been said for the last few issues. There's some weird things in that regard to being overdone, like that I didn't need. I still don't really get what the point of all this vermin fight was, although at least we got something visually splashy out of it. And Spider-Man even comments on this, like in the form of like he wakes up in Craven's like capture 
and he has like a new costume on that looks totally fine. Although he's cut up underneath on his right. like perfectly chiseled 12 pack or whatever you well, want to call it. Right. To me, that's just, that's like a weird step into camp. I know that sometimes it like, like we had Alan on and he loved the kind of campy elements of the first issue of this. But to me, it was just like a, you know, Spidey even comments like, what was the point of all that? If I, he's just going to put me in a fresh costume. And I felt the same way. And, and him commenting on it, doesn't really make it easier for me to swallow unless like ultimately there is a point to it all. We still, I, I still feel like we're missing the boat with vermin and his role in all this. Like, I mean, they're, they're just, I feel like Spencer is just really trying to play up the, any, you know, any and all connections to Craven's last hunt that he can to kind of bring it on home. Um, I mean, even to the point that, you know, we have the, the revisiting of the Mary Jane, I love you. Uh, moment in this, but but like it felt cheap here because again, I feel like we're is it that we're paying homage or we're just trying to be like kind of winking and nodding at what came before it? You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Like, I, I, I there was something that like that it just felt hollow to me because, like you said, Vermin's role in all this is just so weirdly undefined. It's like he's here because well, he was in Craven's Last Hunt, so of course he's here now, and it's like, well, no, it's not. Not the same. <laughs> I thought of that particular moment that the in-moment writing and visualization of it sold it for me, like him being drowned in the vermin. But like Mary Jane's absence from this book, like thematically, kept me from embracing it in the same way. I mean, it's always going to be an echo of the original where like Mary Jane is actually not just similarly not involved in the action, but thematically feels tied to it. So yeah, it didn't hit for me but i thought like in this particular issue with the vermin artwork that that moment kind of worked yeah i think that's fair and then of course we we again referencing like craven's last hunt we have spider-man taking the herbs and that you know craven used to take to heal himself i mean it's i don't know like again i feel like we're just we're we're are, are we paying homage or are we just winking at what came before it i i i i i i I want to see some more originality here and then kind of be a little more subversive with the references. And that's not what we're getting in this story. Yeah. I, I didn't mind it so much, but it's, it does seem like a convenient way to like erase the actions that just happened, you know? And it's like, what was the point of all this? It's just another complication, you know? Yeah. At the, yeah. You know, at the same time I could see Spider-Man being in a very weakened state, having to fight Craven, And that's interesting to me too. I mean, you know, like he was in the original where he had a cold. I mean, it could be that the original is so wide reaching that like anything and everything could seem like a reference. Right. <laughs> you know, no, but, it's uh, true. It's true. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's I mean, maybe if we didn't get so much meta commentary on it and like some of the preceding chapters, like, you know, from Arcade kind of selling it as, ah, you know, we got to revisit this and revisit that. And that's what the crowd wants. And it's like, eh. Um, but of course, like, I think the most problematic thing about this issue, which I mean, and, and it's problematic in the convenience of it because it also has, there's some rich character interactions that go on here uh, involving this development. But, you know, so Spider-Man is faced with this choice. You know, we, we got Billy Connors and Felicia are still out in the wild and they're, they're being, um, they're, they're confronted by what, what does Alan call Craven's son? Craig, you, Craig, 
I don't love it, but we're sticking with it for the time being. It's yeah, it's no shush, but you know, it's Alan, so we'll pay our respects. He has demanded it, and you don't want to see him angry. No, it's true. It's true. You know, Spider Man has this choice where you know because Kurt Connors has this inhibitor chip uh, in his spine. Uh, that will prevent, you know, that prevents him from lashing out and becoming the lizard full, full throated. He's, he's asked Spider-Man to rip out, basically rip out his spinal cord. Right. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, it's like, which, I mean, again, it kind of goes, does Spider-Man have the strength to do that? I, I would say yes. Okay. I guess, you know, he, he does this. And of course, like Spider-Man feels like, you know, Spider-Man is resistant, doesn't want to do it because it could kill him and I don't kill blah, 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 blah. And then of course, yada yada yada. It was the best soup. Um, but, <laughs> but um, so we, you know, he does do it, and you know, he thinks he kills Kurt. He, you know, spoiler alert, he doesn't. But then also, like Craven is kind of like, ah, yes, finally, he's becoming the man I want him to be. And it made me go, now wait a second. Like up to a few issues ago, Kirk Connors wasn't even in this story. Like they, he was like kind of like the white whale that they couldn't get into this thing. So how could this be like Craven's master plan when current Connors wasn't even there for it? You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> it makes no sense, and it's a real shame because, like you said, there's so much good stuff involved in this. Like we get like a mea culpa for you know the lizard in regards to shed, which I found fascinating him discussing, you know, like his remorse over what he did and does his son remember this? We've been talking about the thematics of like fatherhood and and things like that, but it, it makes the lizard story into a Spider-Man story, the idea of power and responsibility and and the like living to make up for the one big mistake that you made and having a second chance and all that stuff. Like it, it's very the themes of Spider-Man but it's all uh, undercut by this nonsense that Craven would have no idea. Like the whole idea was that the lizard snuck into the park. And even in like the last issue with Vermin, where Vermin tells Arcade that the lizard snuck into the park, he's totally shocked by this. It's like the Joker in The Dark Knight. It's, you know, in that movie, he's got this m- insane plan that involves him getting captured and not captured and. And you buy it because the Joker is an agent of chaos, but right. that's just not Craven. Right. Yeah. I mean, Craven is, I mean, he is a hunter. He is methodical. He is, you know, everything has to be planned just so, you know, like you can't, you can't go into a hunt chaotically because it won't be successful. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't play into who the character is. But like you said, we did get these rich character moments. I also feel like we got some things fleshed out from the clone conspiracy. I mean, not not only did we get things fleshed out from Shed, but like this idea of the clones that, you know, that Billy is, I mean, that their soul is intact, which I thought was really interesting because we never really got I don't feel like that was explicit during Clone Conspiracy Zero, was it? I I, I don't know. I just feel like I, I, I liked getting that little bit of, of context here. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not a person that, like, I'll just say personally believes in the idea of souls. Right. But, um, you know, for me, it was that they had their memories was, you know, as good as them having their quote unquote soul, you know, as part of them. But like, it was a part of our spider slack conversation. There were, you know, there were people that wanted to know, like, are do these clones have souls? Are they truly the original person it seems yes they are actually 
literally that person brought back to life. Uh, which, you know, we still have our questions about whether some people made it through. Like, I think for me, the still big question is Gwen Stacy out there somewhere. Uh, like, that's the big lingering question mark for me. And now this would mean it is legitimately the real Gwen Stacy who could potentially be out there if you believe, like me, she didn't really turn into dust in the clone conspiracy. Yeah, that that. That would be interesting for sure. So, yeah, I mean, like, so we got these good moments, but like, again, like a lot of this is kind of, we get there in a very contrived manner. And and again, like, I also feel like we kind of predicted this was go- the path that the story was going to take at some point. Like, what else could it be? So like, you know, whereas I'm glad that things are happening, I'm glad that we're, f- we're finally moving towards the conclusion, you know, between the pacing and then kind of the, the, the obviousness of it. I'm, I'm yet to be surprised by this story. Has anything truly surprised you either in this issue or just overall in this story? No, not, not yet. And, and it's really a shame. I mean, I think there was an opportunity for the decision that Spider-Man makes at the end of this book to perhaps be surprising if we hadn't like revisited this theme of Spider-Man doesn't kill like a lot over the past like 10, 15 years. Like yeah. it's been a real defining you know, part of Dan Slott's run from like, you know, like no one dies onward. So like I've, I, I kind of admittedly refuse to be kind of like shocked by these things. I mean, because Peter, you know, in essence makes a dark decision and a dark gamble here that maybe we haven't seen him take before. I mean, how, how do you feel about this choice? Yeah, I, I, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, like I I, I feel that. It was a risk that he took and that and it's it's certainly a dark choice, but like I, I I I don't know. I don't know if if it's as heavily laden with risk as they want as the writers and the creators want us to believe. You know what I mean? Like I I I because again, like I wasn't surprised by it. it. It was I mean, you know, maybe if he truly killed Connors, I'd be surprised by it and like had to live with that and have that on it. But like he didn't, I mean, he, he, you know, we, I I think we all saw the lizard coming back at the end of this story. Right. Well, yeah. But the question is like, for me at least, like this could be an interesting opportunity to lay some guilt at Spider-Man's feet and actually have him killed Kurt Connors. You know, like if removing the inhibitor chip caused that personality to die, Yeah, you know, like, like say like, the Hulk kind of thing, you know, like where he's just the lizard from now on. That's an interesting moment, you know, like I think, and could set up an interesting moment for Craven to reveal that C- Connors is dead and, you know, unable to restrain himself from, because Spider-Man also takes his word that he'll be able to restrain the lizard from causing any more pain. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. I think there's a real opportunity for some interesting drama, maybe not in this issue, but in the next one to kind of, uh, you know, cap it off. I did like that it was a classic moment of no good choice for Spidey, but yeah, I think we all saw like ultimately what was going to happen coming. You know that the lizard would get back up again. Yeah, but yeah, I mean it's interesting. Like this, this seems to me at least the setup for where we're headed, which is for Craven to ask Spidey to do the same thing for him. Yeah. Well, here we are. It's they got one more issue to do it, Dan. So. I hope we get there. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to tie up. And it's, again, it's, it's, I think you and I could have predicted this with issue one, which is like, I think Alan and I said as much on that review, which is like, hey, we really like this first issue. It would be an A plus issue, but we both gave it like A minuses because we were like, we've been burned before and we don't want another six issue series or six issue plus series where nothing happens until the last issue. 
And we're kind of at that again. And, and all these event books, it makes me dread Spider-Man events because what they end up being is just one or two or three issue stories bloated to 12, right? just like Maximum Carnage. And like, boy, the legacy of Maximum Carnage live, lives on in all these event books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to get to grades here? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to give this one a B minus. I, I am right there with you, Dan. It's funny, uh, you know, not not to reveal how the sausage is made, but before we got on, Dan was like, I think we disagree on this book. And I, you know, looked at his notes and I was like, no, I think we're in agreement. And then literally the same grade. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, we don't disagree. We never disagree. We always, we always see eye to eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess after six years, we've kind of melded a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dan, thanks to our patrons on Patreon, because without them, we would have never got that awesome review. But fear not, listeners at home, we're going to finish Hunt It Out in style in our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 22. We're here to talk about some Amazing Spider-Man comics, and we've got two people joining me today. One, more of a regular. The other, quickly becoming a regular. Well, first up, we've got uh, mischievous Mark Giannacchio here. Wait, wait, hold on a second. More of a regular? (laughs) (laughs) You missed one episode, and I'm just more of a regular? (laughs) I don't know, man. It's like that missing uh, annual there, you know? Like, it's not a complete collection until you got them all. Hey, there have been a couple of interview episodes where it was just me solo. So maybe you're more of the regular there, Dan. I don't know. I, we'll leave it. We'll leave it to fate to decide. Oh my goodness! Oh well, yes, it is I, the mischievous one, Mark Chinacchio. And I, I guess I should uh, throw the microphone over to the interloper of the group. Who are you, interloper? I am the available Alan Churstall. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was, I was like the uh, the credit, you know, the alliterative credit that the letterer gets, you know, way back in '60s Marvel. I want like the Artie Simic <laughs> credits. Well, you were available, and we also wanted to have you back because you started off this conversation about Hunted with us when Mark wasn't available, and uh, so we wanted to bring you back on to get your feelings on the arc over in, in its whole and uh, as it concluded. So. Uh, Today we're talking about Amazing Spider-Man number 22, or for all you nerds out there, Legacy 823, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> Al- Alan, uh, you know, before we Wait, get into individual issue reviews, you are putting yourself on one side of the line saying, I'm not as nerdy as these people. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I-, I don't think there needs to be any qualifications for how nerdy Mark and I are. Uh, I think it's self-evident that we are quite nerdy. Agreed. (laughs) Do I have to put my nerd credit on the line here? My goodness. (laughs) No, no, no. But anyway, uh, Alan, I guess I wanted to hear what you thought about all of the, I guess, like like nine or so issues. You don't have to break it down issue by issue, but like overall feelings about this arc as we've been moving through it. You know, well, uh, I haven't listened back to the episode I was on, but I've heard the ones you guys have recorded since then without me. And AKA ten- normal episodes. Normal Let's episodes. Just be clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a what if, but uh, I've tended to mostly track with you guys if my grades might be a little more generous. 
and then but then but then I went back and reread the whole arc, trying to think about this arc in a different way through a different prism than I was already thinking about it. And in fact, trying to do this with Spencer's whole run. And and we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. And yeah, I see all the flaws you guys have pointed out, especially as this is a book called Amazing Spider-Man that we expect to be about Spider-Man and Peter Parker. But I'll just say this up front. I think this arc, like as a collected trade of a hero who might not be your favorite hero, is a really good comic story. I'm just not sure it's a great Amazing Spider-Man series. All right. That's good. That's a good place to start. Um, You know, we're here at the end and I think we've all kind of been hoping that this thing would kind of like start to dovetail and and bring all these stories to a conclusion. Um, I guess just general thoughts. What did you think about the ending of the story, Mark? Uh, Ultimately, I was pretty unimpressed with it. I mean, I feel like this was more or less with a couple of beats that maybe kind of surprised me. I thought that this was the story we were going to get. So the fact that it took so many installments and seemed to have so little momentum to get there kind of was a letdown. And and again, like, I, and we we used to complain about this in during the Dan Slot era. Although I feel like at least things moved a little more briskly, which is like we 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 built and we built and we built to this issue, but we really didn't like. I feel like set up everything that needed to happen the way it happened as quickly as it did in this issue. So like in the end, like moments that should have been organically developed um, in terms of character beats and, and, and changes in terms of a character's uh, mindset and motivation, they just felt kind of tacked on because, well, we're in the last chapter and we got to do this because we got to get to the end of the story where, you know, where this dramatic thing happens to Craven. I, I, you know, there were certainly plenty of, moments earlier in this storyline that felt very superfluous that maybe we could have had more introspection to Craven and what he was actually trying to do and how he was trying to break Spider-Man. And frankly, we should have had more time with Spider-Man so that when his ultimate, you know, final stand came against Craven, the moment would have felt earned instead of just like, well, this is kind of what we expected him to do. I mean, nothing, nothing caught me off guard there in terms of Spider-Man's behavior. And that's disappointing. Alan, how about yourself? caught me off guard about Spider-Man's behavior either, but there were surprises that did get me. I think everything like beat to beat, scene to scene, this these are really well-written, mostly well-drawn, uh, exciting, thoughtful, weird comics. But the hero himself is just kind of there looming over it as a presence who will have a predictable set of responses rather than as a character who is going through this adventure and experiencing things and growing or changing and being tested. And I mean, to me, this is this is getting into like uh, territory where Batman has been for a long time, where a lot of Batman stories are about Gotham and about the Batman cast and about new crazy configurations of what these characters can be when smashed together. And maybe Batman's core philosophies or approaches are questioned philosophically throughout the story. And then at the end of the story, those approaches are demonstrated to be right. And then we move on. That's new for Spider-Man. I, I'm not sure how how I feel about it, but that seems to be what we're at. As a Batman-esque Spider-Man story, I think this is a pretty good one. Issue by issue, beat by beat, uh, I think these issues are better than much of what has run over the history of Amazing Spider-Man, but I don't know that they feel like Amazing Spider-Man. Well, I want to choose one word from what you said to kind of echo in my feelings about it too, Alan, is the predictability of it all. 
uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to insert a clip in here of you and I predicting the end of this story back when we reviewed issue one. I'm still not entirely clear on Craven's motivations, and granted, it's like the really the first issue. I don't quite get like how all of these various arms all come together. Like, what is he doing with these hunters? Why does he care about these villains in animal costumes? And how does that tie into getting Spider-Man to kill him? I'm not sure what his game plan is, and it's bad for a villain to tell me their game plan straight out of the front, but I just don't know how they work together, and I don't know if that's a negative. We're so used to stories spinning out of control, especially stories that have extra tie-in issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, you know, yeah, I'm a little worried that all of these elements might not cohere. You know, I mean, Craven's done goofy stuff before, so I can entirely buy the putting a shield around Central Park and taking over the Plaza Hotel routine. Great. But why would he do that when, you know, the story that this issue pays homage to in its first pages is the rawest, purest me versus him? I'm still intrigued to see where it goes. You oh, know? yeah. I think it's going to make allies and enemies alike in the face of. This hunt. So let's talk about this big brouhaha that happens. We've kind of danced around this. We're calling him Craven Jr. on the show. Um, Like, and and you suspect maybe the black cat kills Craven. I am in the camp that Craven kills Craven. Oh, uh, sure. End of the story because how do you one up uh, Craven's last uh, hunt? The only way that Craven can really prove himself worthy is to kill himself again as his younger self. I can't believe I just said that, but uh, it's comics, people. That's the only way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, look, look. Craven killed himself before. We're going to just make that literal, and he's uh. going to kill himself. Okay, so now that I've played that clip of me guessing the ending, I'm going to double down on this predictability thing, which is like – even beyond me guessing the ending of Craven Jr. killing Craven, it's that like you like you said, Alan, that, that Spider-Man's ethos can be like questioned throughout the story, but ultimately they would end up being proven correct in some way, whether you find that fulfilling or not. And that's the thing I have the most problem with with these stories is that they are predictable. They're not adding anything new or new wrinkles to why Spider-Man's kill code exists in the way it does you know we we're just getting the same ideas about the character rehashed over and over again the idea of the spider versus the man like how many stories in the past i I mean even just even the past 20 30 years have we gotten on that uh specific topic that ended exactly the same way with it saying well it's the man part of spider-man that really kind of uh you know comes out in the head yeah um, or even just leaving the end of the JMS, like the coming home mark where it's like, no, it's the mixture of science and, you know, myth that makes me powerful. Um, and that's almost like the whole thing in this too, right? Like Craven is leaning into the totemic stuff only to ultimately like be told like, no, that stuff is not as important as like his humanity. And it's just an echo of the same thing over and over again. And so even though it's predictable, I really just like hope that these writers can come up with a new hook or avenue to, to explore with these characters like, say, Superior Spider-Man did. And, and it's, it's yeah. discouraging to me 
that like so much has been written about Nick Spencer, this being his big pitch for this book, like that this is the story that got him brought onto Amazing Spider-Man. And I'm sure there were a lot of other things too, um, as proven by some of his writing and other issues. But like if I were an editor, I'd say cool story idea for a small story, but like that's not enough in the way that JMS totally tried to upend things to really make a declarative statement about this is my run. Yeah, I mean, if I could just jump in on that, Dan, in terms of also with the predictability. I mean, obviously, I didn't quite have the laser insight that you did in terms of the you know granular ending of this storyline. But I mean, we have been talking about from the very beginning. Well, I guess because I wasn't on the very beginning, but close to the very beginning, <laughs> um, <laughs> the idea of like, okay, so Craven's plan seems very unclear in terms of the the, the text of the book, but. I mean, it was he was more or less going to push Spider-Man to kill him. That was going, you know, and that's and that's what we had. And there was never anything in this build that let me think that this wasn't going to end with Spider-Man somehow walking away from it all. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it just like there was never there was no drama to this book. That's that's the issue. I mean, like if you're gonna create like this very like heightened, crazy micro world with arcade throwing all these booby traps and hunters and nano boot and nanobot costumes and all these other villains together like you got to at least have some drama and you know outside of i think like the given one shot and you know some stuff with the lizard there was no drama to this book whatsoever and that's like to me like what's the point of superhero comics if you're not going to have like heightened drama? That's what the point, that's the point of these comics. That's, that's what made me a fan of these kinds of comics. I I've been kind of trying to step back a little bit because I feel, I feel that same response in my gut, but also, you know, having read secret empire, having read a lot of other, other Spencer comics before and actually liking a lot of what is on the page in these books, especially what he's doing with, you know, supporting casts and obscure villains and things like that. You know, I, I feel like what I'm missing in this comic, part of me thinks what I'm missing in these comics might be intentional, you know, that this might be a different approach and that it's not that Spencer has like, you know, failed to honor all of these elements. And so I think about like Craven's last hunt, like how long ago was that? That's almost 35 years ago at this point. Yeah, 1987. So 35 years ago, Spider-Man gets shot with a shotgun and claws his way out of a grave. How do you raise the stakes on that? You know, and even as a kid reading that, I was shocked, but I never believed Spider-Man was gone for good. I always know he's going to triumph, maybe with a loss or two. You know, but he will ultimately triumph because of the humanity of Spider-Man and all of that, that he's a decent guy. I, I always know all that. So Spencer just seems to be not bothering to invite us to suspend our disbelief for a couple issues <laughs> and instead is kind of working like as as if it is a given that Spider-Man's going to win and we all know it and he's going to be interested in these other elements. And I will say this for this run. The other elements are interesting. I just don't know. Maybe this should be a book titled Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man or something rather than Amazing Spider-Man. 
Yeah, but then is it on us as as the readers and as the fans to just be complacent with that? Because that that just seems like an odd thing to expect of your audience. I mean, you know, if that's if that's what he wants to do, I mean, that's great. But that to me, that feels masturbatory. It's like what what's the what what's in it for me as as the reader? Like like why should I lower my expectations of what I expect in a, in a book named Amazing Spider Man because that's not the story he wants to tell? Then find someone who'll tell that story. Or I'll vote with my wallet. I think that's the bigger issue going on here. You know, you won't vote with your wallet because you're a completionist. <laughs> well, <laughs> fair. But, but I'm sure there are others yeah. who are in my my boat here. <laughs> I, I entirely understand and appreciate that point. I'm just, you know, I mean, I guess this is a bigger point that uh, maybe it's too early to get to this. But... You know, Marvel doesn't seem to know what to do with Peter Parker right now. They haven't known what to do with Peter Parker for a couple years. And Spencer seems to be kind of not taking a swing at that. You know, he seems to be, we just have this, there's no like, remember the, the Brevoort memo that, that, that animated Brand New Day? And then there were slots, you know, late in a slot runs, you know, when we had Superior and we had Parker Industries, you know, these big ideas about who Peter can be. Now we don't really seem to have either of those. And we have what seems to be like kind of a continuity light set of almost inventory stories that could appear, that could have appeared almost any time in Peter Parker's history. And and that's weird, especially right now with with Spider-Verse, with the, the Spider-Verse film, you know, and and those really great character-driven books that Christos Gage is doing, you know, over in the current Superior Spider-Man, or that that uh, is going on in the new Miles Morales book, you know, from from Saladin Ahmed, uh, where it's really character-driven. And these these current Spider-Man stories are not at all. These current Peter Parker stories are not at all. And I kind of feel like I would love it as a fan and reader if instead of just they were going with this idea of kind of an open source Spider-Man that could be anyone at any time, that they really were to double down and amazing on this is who Peter is now. This is why Peter matters now. And they're not doing that. So, you know, I wonder, is that like a mandate? Is that like what Marvel wants? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's not that these things are total misses. It's that they're like near misses. Like the one thing that they're missing is something declarative about Peter, but everybody else is getting declarative elements about who their character is in this new run. And like the other, and I think part of that is that it's very reactionary to how the world around Peter has been changed over the past several decades on this book, you know, starting all the way back with, I'd say like brand new day. Like, it seems to me like Spencer, you know, as he self described to us that he, you know, read every issue of Spider-Man and, and this to me seems like someone who did that and then wrote a list of things that they want to correct, but were overall like confident about like who Peter was and maybe overconfident about how much Peter needs to be incorporated as a part of that corrective. Because everything around Peter is changing in ways that I like, for the most part. I mean, I don't know that I bought Craven's change here, but I feel like the first issue of this run was where he got out of the way he thinks that he wanted to correct to get Peter back to where he felt was regular. But then he just kind of gave up and focused on other people. And I think you could do both things. Like, I don't, I don't see it as, you know, a mandate or anything like that. It's just a change of where his attention is placed. 
And for a first year on a book, it's frustrating to not know where the attention is placed in regards to Peter. And, you know, I'm echoing a lot of things that have been said, you know, earlier, but I I don't think it's that far off from being exactly where it needs to be. It's just missing the core element of who Peter is and what he wants. And this story is as indicative of it as any other. I mean, we're going to get into the granular details of this, but like at the end of the story, Craven's just like, all right, Peter, go do your thing. And then we hang around with the story without Peter for a little while, as if this was just another, you know, bump in, on the road for Peter's own life. Yeah. And I mean, and I mean, I get what you're saying, Dan, and I don't, you're right. I don't want to sound like I'm coming down too hard, like the book is ruined or anything like that. But I think, you know, the, the, the other element that you got to consider here is, like you said at the beginning of this episode, I mean, this this story was Spencer's pitch to get on this book, essentially. And, you know, I mean, we spent a lot of time in this story to, to, to I feel, I mean, to me, the story was a miss. It was a miss. I, I, I don't think that this is going to, in time, live up as one of the great Spider-Man stories. I just don't think it will. There was nothing to it that I feel defines it as such. And to kind of, Given, I mean, I hate to say, well, you hyped it, so you should deliver. I mean, that's not always the case, but like, I don't even know if I'm going to be remembering this story a couple of years from now. I mean, like, say what you will about some of Slot's big stories, and like, Lord knows, like Spider Verse. Go back to the archives of our our story of our podcast. I did not like Spider Verse, <laughs> but I'm still talking about Spider Verse. That's the, you know, <laughs> and that's interesting. And 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 Spider Verse obviously had a much broader impact on on the Spider Man universe with Into the Spider Verse. I mean, like, so there's there's something to it, even if that story wasn't executed the way I wanted it to be. This story to me just feels unremarkable, which I think is like just the, the like the most distressing thing you can have in comics. Like you should, it shouldn't be unremarkable. Like there should be something to really hang on to here. And I don't know if there's any, there are a couple of individual moments that made me say, Oh, that's interesting. Or, Oh, that, that I, I, you know, that's a good turn for this character. But like, as a whole, there's nothing that I feel I'm going to glom onto where years from now, I'm like, ah, oh, remember hunted and, and the impact that had, I, it just like you I mean, Peter kind of came into the story randomly and left randomly <laughs> like like you know, there was there was nothing he he didn't even he didn't even come in or come out on his own on his, under his own power like he and was he captured did, he didn't make any of the key decisions yeah he was captured then he was let go then he was drugged and then he was let go again <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and, I mean, and, and those beats were were really rushed through you know, like when was was it when he when he gets beat down uh, in the previous issue, like that is just dashed right through. There's there's this underwhelming like two page splash that doesn't really have enough story content for me to really understand that he's losing a big fight. And then there's like one more page of this fight going on. And, you know, if this is going to be a book where. You know, it's like about Spider-Man's universe. Sure, maybe you can dispatch him in a page, but that that just felt way off to me. Well, let's get into some of the specific details of what happens in the story because we're kind of talking around how this plays out, the specifics of the the big, like I guess the big moment with Craven, which is like has a bunch of smaller moments that all lead into it. So, I mean, I think it's the, the key thing here is that you know Spidey is you know, trapped and racing against the clock. He let the lizard go and uh, he is ultimately let go himself 
where he discovers that like it appears the lizard has torn up all of these guards outside of the room um, and Spider-Man is dealing with the death of all these people on his own hands. And then Craven enters the scene and reinforces that saying like, you have made a decision to kill people. You saw, you know, two options and chose the one that you felt best fit the situation. So you are willing to go there. I guess I'm curious before you even got to the ultimate reveal of this, how are you feeling about this in the moment? Like, did you find this to be a compelling uh, idea for Craven to pitch to Spider-Man. I mean, it's it's an interesting theory. Although, again, we're we're not to revisit where we were last episode, Dan, or whatever episode it was when when Spider-Man and the Lizard were were caged together. But like, you talk about suspension of disbelief. I mean, like like Spider the Lizard wasn't even supposed to be in this in this world here, right? I mean, wasn't that kind of the surprise of oh, the Lizard's not here? Oh, oh no, now he's here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, if this was Craven's master plan, he really came on it kind of fortuitously, <laughs> not 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 with much cunning and planning. So, I guess it's it's something to say that that was part of the plan. But like, if you go back and actually do the you know no prize it and do the machinations, this wasn't supposed to happen this way. So, like, then what was what was he going to do at this point if the lizard wasn't in the game? And it's a little too much theater for Craven, isn't it? Like to to slice up the or or was did Craig you kill them or what? Am I missing something? No, I'm pretty sure it's Craven who did all of yeah, that that's stuff. What I, that, that's what I thought. Like to try to trick Spider Man, it's just you know I I don't quite buy that. But that said, you know, reading it twice, I thought it was kind of you know it's one of those killing joke moments. Uh, and I'm tired of killing joke moments, but I do appreciate that Spencer, you know, later undercuts it. Uh, but where, you know, the villain is asking all the usual questions of the hero. Why do you not kill us? Why do you let us escape and then kill again? And, you know, for the heroes to make any sense in the world to us as, as readers, we have to, like, believe that they exist in a world where all of these stories maybe didn't happen. <laughs> You know, because like Joker and Craven would have a point if, if like every story in continuity actually occurred. And because then, you know, suddenly Spider Man and Batman are, are monsters for not killing him. But, but that's the fault of comics and comic publishing, not the fault of like real world prisons. And I appreciate that Craven has to go so far out of his way to make this nonsensical point to Spider Man. And uh, then Spencer lets us know, no, that point makes no sense. It would be wrong of Spider-Man to kill. You know, in, in the real world, Manson was in jail and then he died in jail and he never got out and he never killed again. Yeah. And he never convinced everybody that that he's actually a good guy. Let me go. Uh, and I, I just find that tired plot line, you know, that comes from Killing Joke, just 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 annoying and dumb and nihilistic. And I just really appreciate the way that this issue and Spencer undercut that and expose that as nonsense. That said, to get to that point, we got to swallow a beat that I don't know that I necessarily believe. Yeah. I want to, um, I, I, again, I think I agree with you ultimately, um, Alan, in like a helicopter view, but like on this specific point about the guards and the like, Craven's plan to kind of secretly cut up and poison the guards so that it looked like Spider-Man was involved with letting the lizard go and killing them. To me, it's a sort of mind games 
that like Craven's playing are not like him. Like he's a guy that's a big moralizer. I don't see him like it seems here he's like trying to operate on technicality and be like, what are the small things I can do to manipulate Spider-Man into actually killing me? As if that, you know, Spider-Man like physically killing him was his ultimate goal, even if it is his ultimate goal. Like, I just don't believe that Craven would go about it that way. Like, he would do some big grand drama. Like, but here it almost seems like he, him manipulating Spider-Man is sort of a, like his own uh, admission that his ideas aren't correct. You know, if he has to trick someone into his ideology, like, it's, it's, a, it's almost like him just giving up already. And maybe that is part of why he ultimately does give up. But I just don't believe that Craven would be so, like, operating in the grays of things. Like, he's a very headstrong guy. And I just don't believe that he would, like, re- resort to the kind of, like, joker trickery it, that we see in this issue. Sneaky. Sneakiness, yes. Uh, that's just not his thing. This is the guy that killed Spider-Man with a shotgun and then dressed up in his underwear. You know, like, uh, <laughs> like uh, I just don't believe that that guy is sneaky. No, that's a great point. I mean, you know, like, you know, maybe this was the Jackal or even Norman Osborn. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there would be more of a of a psychological attack. But yeah, Craven is just kind of he's about the hunt. Like, what about what about this plan is the hunt? You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, although he was never going to hunt again, so maybe that's why he's become more psychological based. I don't know. Yeah. So back to Craven the manipulator. (laughs) So back to Alan's point about like, you know, the key moment of this issue, at least I, you know, see it as the key issue is this point where Craven has now laid out his whole plans to Spider-Man and telling him, you know, you know, you've made this choice and arcade sets up this other, like I thought kind of weirdly handled choice where he's like, well, I will kill everybody in the park essentially, if you don't kill Craven, And Spider-Man has put it this, like, crossroads where he ultimately realizes, oh, wait, you know, after beating up Craven, I don't have to kill this guy because this has all been manipulated, as we've been discussing. And he has to show Craven the truth of the world as he sees it. So he jams his face up against some televised viewing device, and Spider-Man watch it, or Spider-Man and Craven watch the lizard approach Billy and uh, Felicia in the park who have already been kind of tossed around by Kraju. Alan, I hope you're happy with me saying that. Uh, you, <laughs> you have demanded that I call this character Kraju. I'm, I'm not proud, but, <laughs> but I, I, every time I see him, I immediately think of that. And uh, it, it's... I don't know. I don't know. I think we can be better people than this. I'm sorry to lure you down into this hole. (laughs) It's okay, okay, Alan. We know that you are known for your uh, uh, incendiary thoughts and and words. We we, we only have Alan on for the hot takes and the controversy, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So so to this point, like this scene that plays out here, I want to get your guys' reads on it because this is the moment – for me that like is the whole point of this story, right? We are seeing Spider-Man's ethos in work and Craven is changed fundamentally by it. And I have to say to myself, it, it did not work for me at all for a number of reasons, but I, I, I'll get into those, but I want to hear your guys thoughts first. Well, that's, I mean, well, first of all, 
I, I, you know, not to be glib about this moment, but like, I did find it strange that like a Spider-Man is like watching and he like sees like Felicia get stabbed uh, and he's just kind of sitting there watching it happen. Like what was, what's going on there? Like where, where is that playing into his ethos? <laughs> Poor Felicia got like blasted with like a laser gun and stabbed in this issue. And I- I'm guessing seemingly will recover. Well, she has her own book now, right? I guess that's true. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, editorially mandated survival. There we go. <laughs> Sa- Sa- saved by the editors. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree, Dan. And, and, and again, like this, this, this talks to the pacing of this story. We've been talking about this from Jump Street that I, we've, I've, I have felt that this is a poorly paced story that for all the installments, there's just been so little build, so little drama, like I said earlier in this episode. So to kind of have this very critical turning point, it, it just, again, it didn't feel earned. It didn't feel organic. I don't understand how this was the moment that made Craven realize this is just not how he's going to beat Spider-Man. Like it just, you know, there, there was nothing to it that made me feel like, Oh yeah, well this is this Spider Man's going to break any moment now, and 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 Craven can sense it, it, there was just no no there there to to be kind of shallow about it. I I I just don't. I it didn't it didn't feel earned. I wasn't sold on it. I don't buy it. That's the the short of it. And and I'm kind of with you in that. I don't think all the elements really came together. The speech was good. The staging was flawed and awkward and maybe even confusing. And, you know, it feels like these characters maybe should have been in the same place or something. But the I, I do like the broader idea that Spider-Man's trust in his is in other people, his his belief in basic human decency, you know, wins the day. But for him to trust that that a volatile weirdo like Craven, who has given to these squalls of honor, if you know, of, of honor and anger, is going to be convinced by this, and for him to sit there and watch Felicia be stabbed to prove a point to a guy who, you know, makes his decision making is not rational. <laughs> that. Uh, I I don't know that Spider-Man is like so steeped in Craven's code that he could have predicted this outcome and he really should have been standing, you know, holding him up to watch this rather than going out there to help out. I, I don't know if Spider-Man necessarily predicted this outcome. I'm I'm actually okay with it on that level because I feel like Craven is the kind of guy who like could not that his mind could be changed that quickly, but he is a man of like like who operates solely on principles and things like that so like spider-man just showing him something that like discounts his worldview like i i see could change craven in in, in a way because i feel like the guy does operate you know in that regard i have two major problems with this moment and and why it doesn't work for me and i i wonder if we could unpack each of them but the the first one is that you know, for how much the end of the story is about Spider-Man's worldview and that compassion and morality finding its way into Craven, none of this story leading up to this point has been about Spider-Man's worldview and compassion. Uh, it's been about everybody else and their kind of like violent animalistic nature, but there's been no opportunity for Spider-Man to truly show his compassionate side, you know, I guess the closest we ever got might be in the Gibbon story where he goes and comforts him in his death. But like even Spider-Man didn't know 
the backstory to what was going on there. He's just being generally compassionate towards someone dying, which I don't think is a very high threshold to ask people to clear, um, <laughs> especially for our hero. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, it was like if this was really what the story was about, this clash of moralities and Spider-Man's being the one that wins out, it'd been nice to have seen some of that in the story. And it made me wonder, and I, this is where I want to get your guys' feedback, obviously, is, um, you know, we have 50-plus years of Spider-Man comics where we've seen Spider-Man's morality and worldview play out. Is it up to these individual stories, like one like this, to reinstate something that we all know? It is in my opinion that, yes, you know, you do need to, if your story is about that, show moments of that. But I could see the the writer thinking... Why repeat this when this when our readers know this so well? Where do you guys stand on this? For me, I'm I'm more on your side of the fence, Dan, and that I feel like you still have to, even though we have fifty plus years of continuity and stories to mine from. I feel like every, you know that old adage: every story is somebody's first story, and I feel like you, you have an obligation to kind of create the arc within your own arc <laughs> so you know what i mean like like you, you need to if if you're trying to sell the build to a certain moment to a certain beat you know you can't just go on the idea that well we all know who this character is and we've all read these stories i mean we were just saying earlier craven's last hunt was 30 something years ago I would wager that there are people listening to this podcast, right? A, a, a high number of people listening to this podcast that never read Craven's Last Hunt, right? I think it's entirely possible. I mean, I know it's this big famous story, but it's 30 something years ago. There are people who weren't, who are listening to this who weren't even born yet. I don't think I was born yet. Was I? I was. I, I was. 87? Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was one. So there you go. a highly engaged reader at that point. You were one, but not everyone, you know, you, you came on to Spider-Man in the 90s. Not everyone born in the 80s came on in the 90s. They might have came on during the JMS run or during the Dan Slot run, and they didn't think to go back and read that story. And, then, and, and, so, like, and unlike Alan, at the age of one, I recognized a William Blake uh, analog when I saw it. <laughs> Don't remind me of my humiliation in uh, college. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so what you know, do you think alan well yeah this is the question i've i actually had this question in mind when i reread this arc asking myself isn't like just spider-man's human decency like ambient human knowledge at this point like do we need that truly restated in in this story i mean i i find that question fascinating and i would think that like right now at this particular point in history when there are literally two different spider-man movie franchises going on with so many different iterations of the character and the only one thing that all of the characters share other than a basic power set is this sense of responsibility and uh that I mean, it's just it's the animating impulse. It's like if you do a sequel to to to, to Frankenstein, you don't have to have show him putting the brain in. You know, <laughs> Frankenstein's in the culture. We know what it is, and I don't think that in this case, getting you know being denied a scene where Spider Man stops to save a cat from a burning building uh, is really like going to hurt the climax. 
I, I have issues with the way the climax is paced. It, it is weird, though, like the things you are expected to know and the things you're not. You know, there's all the homages to past stories. You know, Spencer tends to kind of wallow in different, you know, ele- diff- different eras and elements of Spider-Man's life, depending on, you know, what the current story is. And I don't know how much of this story is comprehensible if you haven't read Craven's Last Hunt, but... I, I I don't know that they need to establish Spider-Man's a good guy who likes to save people and won't let you die. I don't know that they need to establish that anymore, guys. I just really think it would have bolstered the point, like narratively and, and, and for Spider-Man himself to, within this story, have a moment of Spider-Man doing something truly noble and good. I mean, I can't think of a single moment in this where Spider-Man takes an action in this storyline that uh, exemplifies this whole worldview that he is putting before Craven, especially if it's going to cr- change Craven's mind. Like, where, like, we know all of Spider Man's goodness, but does Craven, has he seen that goodness on display? Because it's, I mean, keep in mind, again, in terms of this story, Dan and Alan, I mean, the, this is such a heightened world that Craven cre- or Arcade created here. I mean, you have. Innocence on the outside and robot suits dying. You have all these villains dying. I, I, you know, like there was plenty of opportunity for S- Spider-Man to have a grand moment to show that compassion. No, I mean, yes, we can we can understand at this point in time, like he's a good guy and he's going to save people. But like, there were there were definitely moments that opportunities to create moments that would have challenged. I don't want to say the status quo, but just to kind of show a new wrinkle on who Spider-Man is here based on the circumstances, just the the overall craziness of the situation he had found himself in. And instead, he was just so passive in this story and and such a bystander. And and, and to have him be what ultimately turns the final screw of the story and, and create the ending, it just... It didn't make sense because it wasn't earned. There was nothing in it to, that would have, to me, would have moved Craven. Like, like I, I, like here's and and if this is me being overly dumb, I apologize. But like, when Craven and Spider Man look out the whatever the the into the screen to see uh, Kraju and Black Hat and Billy and then the lizard, what? What could have happened? What was the alternative that would not have changed Craven's mind? That's a really good question, and I think that moment, like, it's a weird, it's a weird thing about the story that ultimately the story does not turn on Spider-Man's goodness. It turns on his faith in the lizard's decency, and my God, that's a coin flip. That that's that's like betting that Two Face is going to be good this time. I mean, what, what is he doing? <laughs> it's entirely plausible that you know the lizard is not going to be have access to his human side. But go, going back to to the the broader question, Mark, I entirely agree with you that the lack of a new wrinkle is frustrating. You know, the lack of moments where where Spider Man surprises you is frustrating. But I don't know that I need pages spent. In every story, reestablishing, you know, the very basics of his character. And I think that there actually is like his moments when he tries to save the Gibbon in, in that issue, you know, that does kind of suggest it, you know, at a distance, you know, not from his perspective, but but we do see it on display. But I feel like if his character is going to be the central thesis of the story, then you should show show it more. I mean, if and it, that's if the question. Yeah. Like, 
is it does like I like I said when this all started out, this arc feels to me like to confirm something that I've been suspecting for a while, which is that Amazing Spider-Man seems to be moving away from being the stories of this character and what he experiences and goes through, and being stories about what it is like to be in the world with this character who we all know all this about. And that's the question: Does that work? Do we want that? I don't know. We had talked a lot reading through the story about these kind of themes and ideas about fatherhood. And and that seems to largely be where this book kind of uh, ends up is it's a discussion between the difference between the lizard in his redeemed state and Craven as he is now, uh, who I guess mass – well, he didn't mass murder his own children. He killed a couple of his children and then one of his children killed all of his other children but ultimately, you know, the the redemptive moment is for the lizard who decides, you know, I, if I can make it out. And that's my other problem is this moment that we're seeing through the screen to me is not very clear in what mm-hmm. actually occurs. We see the lizard tear into Kraju and in this big page of like violent images. And then on the next page, Kraju is just gone. He just disappears out of nowhere. And we have this scene where the Craven where the lizard, I think, and you guys can correct me here, I think the lizard is about to attack Billy and Felicia, and in that moment is able to calm himself down, stop himself, and then run the opposite direction. Is that what I'm meant to take away from that moment? I mean, that was my takeaway. Yeah, same here. I just didn't think it was all that clear for like a big moment like that, so it fell pretty flat to me but i do like that like if that is my understanding of what goes on in the scene that like ultimately you know at least the themes of like the fatherhood element do come back around uh like and and we're experiencing the even the final image of the book is that photograph of craven and his you know young children clones of himself <laughs> his, his high evolutionary moment <laughs> yeah but it, but it just makes me really wish that we had like experienced that a bit more rather than through that weird like seeming recap of issues we never got like imagine if the lead up to this story had been you know instead of teasing craven and you know all, all of the like Hunter stuff early on that we had been experiencing Craven and fatherhood and his kind of twisted moral code about achieving the greatest things as we see in the flashback here where he's like got a spear and he's going after this giant beast and and all of this stuff. If we experienced Craven's conquest, you know, I think it would have really made this more powerful in that he's seeing his own, you know, terrible actions as a father reflected back on him. Um, rather than it being about Spider-Man's morality, it should really be about like, you know, Craven and Lizard's different approaches to redeeming their their roles as fathers. Yeah, Dan, that makes sense to me. You're you're doing all this work to what to what would make the story we were presented with perhaps work better or have more impact. But you know, the story you're talking about is a Craven and Lizard story, not a Spider-Man story. And it feels to me like what we actually got in the Hunter Hunted arc is kind of a strangled, uncertain attempt to not quite admit this is a lizard craven story rather than a spider-man story i think it would have worked better if yes it had just openly been a craven 
and Lizard story with guest starring their buddy Spider-Man. But no, here it is as the big event in Amazing Spider-Man this year or so far this year. And that's why it probably feels lacking. I think there were a lot of – I'm with you generally overall on this in that it's close to being you know good. It's close. I think it is pretty good. It's close to being better than good, but it's not quite what I'm looking for in Amazing Spider-Man. And Craven Lizard Team Up, sure. That's a book that I'm sure has some audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, um, I know this wasn't exactly the point you were making just a few seconds ago, but in terms of the artwork, maybe I'm being a little too hard here, but I mean, you know, obviously the series has seen a, a number of different artists, but like for me, I feel like having Ramos on this specific chapter was another bit of a miss. I just don't think he was the right um, tonally for what they were going for here. I mean, this was kind of begging for like the darker realism of an Eminem or even a Kamikoli. I mean, I don't know, is Camo even with Marvel anymore or is he doing Batman stuff now like he's always wanted to do? <laughs> he was doing that excellent uh, Vader book for a long time. I don't know if you've read that, but it's one of the best books Marvel's putting out. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I just felt like Ramos is kind of loose and fluid figures and kind of you know that that dynamic nature of his like for something that is kind of darker and grounded more and like trying to see the detail of certain moments um helps lose the moments and i think kind of detracted from this story a lot no i don't disagree i mean i think this is the strong a stronger chapter from ramos i still think the first issue stands out um as like a more i mean i think that the first issue of this book is more interested in art and artistry, the, even just down to those silent pages uh, that we got in the first issue, which uh, to me, it's still like maybe the best thing we got out of this uh, arc is just the quiet moments that let uh, Ramos really live. Um, but yeah, I mean, that I can't understand specifically what's going on in these key moments, I think is a detraction uh, to the art. And uh, it did add to the the surprise of who is in the Spider-Man costume at the end, uh, but kind of accidentally. Yeah, you know, it's kind it's of a cheat. The kind of the kind of rushed quality of of maybe the inking, you know, the uncertain bulk of whoever is wearing that costume, you know, made it hard to tell that. Oh no, you should be able to spot Craven. You know, Spider-Man looks like a soccer player. Craven looks like a linebacker. Yeah, and I think even if you drew it as a linebacker, you know, because clearly Ramos can draw the difference between Craven and Spider-Man, because I think his Craven is really quite striking. Uh, I love the tattoos that he's got on his arm. I think it's really neat. Um, but uh, I don't know why he chose to draw Spider-Man as this kind of, or Craven in the Spider-Man costume as this sort of spindly Spider-Man character, if, if only because that's the way his Spider-Man looks. But oh, I think putting on that costume, it's like face-off technology from Face-Off. Where <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, John Travolta's own wife can't tell this is actually Nicolas Cage, or <laughs> vice versa. However, it worked. Yeah, it's totally strange in that regard. And I think the cleverer ending is just having that linebacker Spider-Man there. And I guarantee you, there will be people that read it that still overlooked that and weren't looking at the builds of the bodies because the way that the issue is structured in the end is really neat because you're seeing Craven approach his coffin and you think that these are not uh, these are 
simultaneously occurring scenes instead of a time jump. And so you you were thinking that Craven's going to commit suicide, and only as he's actually committing suicide as Spider-Man do we see the reveal of the costume in the coffin. I thought that was really clever until I was like, but wait, Spider-Man looks like Spider-Man, not like Craven. Um, and it's a, so it's a cheat, but I think you could have gotten away with it still and still had that aha moment. Oh, absolutely. It could it could have been better handled and I could nitpick it, you know, all day. Like, can't Kraju smell his dad since he's a master hunter? <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of can't, can't you tell? But uh, that this isn't the guy you beat up an issue ago. But but but. I like that ending a lot. I thought there was – it just had the finality of a coffin closing shut, kind of like the original uh, uh, Craven's Last Hunt did. So I, I was on board with it. I was feeling more forgiving, especially the second time I read all this through. I, I've been I, – I like this ending. I'm going to come out and say it. Like do I think it's earned? No. But I, I think just – again, from a helicopter standpoint, like just way up above, I'm like this is – the best version of this ending. Uh, I mean, was it earned really when Spider-Man beat up Fire Lord? <laughs> you know, I, mean, there's something <laughs> I don't know that can be truly earned, but are still kind of awesome on the page. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome on the page. I don't know. I would make it. I would make an argument for the Fire Lord story, if only because it's two issues and it really like goes through like twenty different things that Spider-Man does to bring down Fire Lord, like. I feel like the desperation of that story is really sold, but don't get me started on the Fire Lord issues. Um, I want, I want, I love those issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. I just, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I felt like, like we were ready for Craven to die necessarily. Like it, I find it a bit of a bummer that the first major Spider-Man Craven story that we've gotten since he was brought back from the dead is his death again. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's like, we're just recircling, the, you know, the same things I did find it kind of cheeky. And I don't know if this is intentional that there's the image of Craven looking back on his conquests with him looking at a squirrel. And I thought for sure that that was a nod to his adventures in the squirrel girl book where he (laughs) drives, where he drives around in his Cray van. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't be certain, but like, it seems just random enough that it's acknowledging that those squirrel girl stories may have happened. But I don't know. I mean, ultimately, I'm like, okay, Craven's dead again. Again, I call, I called it. I don't think it took a real like Nostradamus to to call it. You know, like, uh, but I, no. I, I kind of hope that like, oh, maybe we could do something different with Craven. Especially when I mean, look at all the Craven's got going on in these issues. Look at look at the events. He he could go into event planning. You know, there's so <laughs> much that he achieved to set this up that it really should feel like he should have ideas for something else he wants to do. But, but I will always believe any like crazy, uh, crazy turn of, of heart on the part of Craven. But I guess I, so (laughs) not to be again, the, the overly pedantic one here, but so talking about the build to this moment, obviously with, with Craven's death, I mean, so just him accepting that, who Spider-Man is and now we can't break them. That's what it takes for him to not be killed by the spider. I'm confused. <laughs> like, like he wasn't killed by Spider-Man. So what, how did this happen? <laughs> well, I think it's part of that whole, like whether you choose to believe the totems or not, like for Craven getting killed by the spider, like was something that he 
you know, want it, and he, he's allowed himself to get killed by it in this different way. I, Alan and I talked about this earlier, and again, I, I'm mixed on how I feel about it because it does take forgetting some continuity because in the pages of Scarlet Spider, the curse was already broken. So I just don't know how serious Spencer is taking this as though this is fulfilling the cosmic destiny or this is just Craven and his own perception of fulfilling the cosmic destiny where yeah. the spider kills him. It seems to be trying to have it both ways in some way. Like it's being clever about it. And I'm, I'm willing to accept it because it's just so murky to begin with. It's comic books. Uh, I hate that as an excuse, but no, sometimes you can't, it's valid. You can't talk this long and then go, it's comic books. But but I'm with you. I, I feel like I'm comfortable saying it's Craven. Like it makes sense in his head. And I believe that this could make sense in his head, even if it doesn't make sense in my head. It didn't make sense in my head why he shot Spider-Man with a shotgun and then wore the costume <laughs> way back when. Well, that's because, you know, JMD wanted to write a Batman story and didn't get to do it. So, perhaps <laughs> <laughs> a Spider-Man story that honors that story that seems to me structured like a lot of Batman stories are today. Well, do you guys want to give our final thoughts and grades on this? <laughs> it's only only been an hour, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I I feel like we've kind of like put ourselves out there and how we feel about it. Um, I mean, if I if I were to rank us, I feel like I could very clearly see where we sat on it. And, and, and I think it's echoing a lot of the thoughts that we've kind of had about the Nick Spencer run for a while, which is that like, these don't necessarily seem like Peter driven stories. And, uh, you know, Peter is running off here at the end to go save MJ. Or is he going to also run off and go save his role as the narrator or the protagonist? <laughs> uh, like th- that, that's my hope is that leading up to issue 25, we're exactly a year into this run. Like, is Spencer going to finally make a declarative statement about Peter and where he wants this book to go instead of doing what I have largely perceived as corrective stories of resetting the status quo? And to that point, I'm giving this book a B minus. I guess I should go next as one of the the semi-regulars on this show (laughs) and end it with grievance where I started, right, Dan? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I... I agree, obviously, with your overall point about what this past year on this book has been. Um, you know, I I, I kind of just keep waiting for the Spencer of that very first issue that he wrote to come back. And again, it's not because of Peter and MJ getting back together that I liked that first issue so much. It's because I felt that this was a guy who was getting his hands on a character that he really wanted to write in a certain way and seemed to have a certain confidence to him. And that has been largely absent in the last 21 issues. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I, I hope that that more time will maybe allow Spencer to start getting back to the character. Um, but I, I, I'm starting to lose faith in that, Dan. I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if maybe this is just what it's going to be. I mean, as of right now, it just kind of feels like like a Denny O'Neill kind of uh, run for me <laughs> in terms of what this book is doing, especially coming off of the Dan Slott stuff, which as, you know, as eclectic as it was, seemed to at least have confidence in its ideas. And, and, I, and I don't know if there's always confidence in the ideas here. I think it's just kind of going muddling around. So with all that said, I'm, I am, I'm giving this issue a D plus, which I know sounds low, but I mean, you know, it just kind of caps off a story that ultimately 
I just did not get much enjoyment out of and will probably forget about it in due time. So that's where I'm at. And for me, I think this arc and this issue are pretty solid comics, but not great, amazing Spider-Man comics. And that's a tricky thing. I, I, I would just wish that, you know, personally, although I'm not sure that, you know, 40 year old readers are the ones who should be determining where Marvel should go with this. I totally recognize that maybe they maybe they have reasons for like removing Peter himself, removing the specific specifics of Peter's life from the current continuity. I don't know. I hope not. But yeah, I think there actually are like some kind of bold ideas in a lot of these stories, but I feel like the stories don't really get to those bold ideas or to taking a stance on those bold ideas until kind of late in it, late in the series or late in the story. So, you know, here we get all of that, you know, spider who is the hunter, all that kind of stuff that feels warmed over. And then it ends with this kind of rousing speech, you know, you know, attesting to the humanity of this of the of the man rather than the spider stuff we've seen before, but done with like real conviction and I think real power. And it does feel to me still like there, there is an element of a corrective here, like slot is like that, like Spencer is saying, like, we're not going to get hung up on all of that dark totemic stuff here once and for all. It's the man. Sure. I'm glad about that. But it does feel like we're dithering getting to that. And I personally, I want to see a bold Peter Parker doing interesting things and being challenged. And honestly, I don't know that that's what Marvel's interested in right now. You know, we have the we have the, the Spider-Man life story series going on right now uh, where, you know, Peter is at the center and all of the trauma and horror that he has experienced as Spider-Man, you know, shows up in him in every panel. And I find that series really interesting and powerful. I can kind of understand if Marvel wants him to be something of a blank right now. I think that's the wrong move, but maybe that's what they're doing. I mean, admittedly, Spider-Man Life Story is specifically geared for audiences like us. Like, it is stuffed full of visual nods to ancient continuity that makes someone like, you know, the three of us just scream out in joy about it because it, it it's it's everything we love about the character and you know I don't know how how many people who are new to Spider-Man are reading that and really understanding what's going on in that book in, in you know I mean literally it, it is advertised by the decade you know as as a summation of the decade and I find it very clever in that way and Mark and I will be talking about that in full when that book is done but you're, you you may be right there, Alan. I, I I just don't think that editorial has their hand as strongly on this book as you're implying in regards to saying let's keep Peter Parker's life out of this. I think editorial is happy to receive whatever script they get from Nick Spencer with a mm-hmm. few slight corrections of saying we're doing War of the Realms now or maybe you need to tie Venom into this. But I think overall – like. I don't think there's much evidence of editorial really helping shape this in any regard. M- much, you know, much more to the point. I I don't feel like editorial would even have a strong enough hand to be like remove Peter Parker from these stories. I think it's just a it's consistent character trait of the Spencer run so far is that the supporting cast is elevated over the protagonist and enough to think that that's probably just a trait of of his. And and to be honest, like most of the books that Spencer's written before this have been like group books. Even his Ant Man is like a 
it's a team book. You know, his Superior Foes is a team book. Although I feel like Boomerang had a stronger voice in that book than Peter does here. So, One thing in defense of Marvel editorial, uh, they got these books out on time. There were a lot of them, and they got them out on time. <laughs> it is very so, true. I can't imagine job, what I can't imagine what reading this book would have been like if it was like a monthly or you know ordeal. Like having a book every week or every other week has been very positive towards keeping the momentum going. So uh, you know that's good. That's good. Alan, what was your grade? Uh, for the issue, you know, C plus, I guess. And I think the arc overall, a B minus. Cool. I, I'm weirdly finding myself the most positive here. I did not expect that to happen. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks again, Alan, for joining uh, Mark and I for this review. Mark, your place at the top of the ticket has been rightly reinstalled. Oh, no. And, and you know, in case it wasn't actually apparent, I love Alan. Alan is awesome. Thank you again for filling in when I was like moving into my house. Uh, as it, as it was told, uh, you know, today I was cutting my lawn of my house. I mean, you know, I'm just living the suburban life now while you, you city boys do your thing. Well, well, Alan, you're not a city boy, right? You're, you're a suburb no, I, boy. No, no. I mean, I mean, I'm in Jersey city, which, you know, as you know, if you read Miss Marvel, which gets a lot of the geography, right. It's, it's, it's a borough. It's just in Jersey. Okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. So anyway, so I'm, I'm the suburban boy here, but anyway, uh, no, I mean, <laughs> no, I could, I could never, I, I could never take your place, Mark. I am to your podcast, like about what the kid from Iron Man three is to end game. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just standing there at the funeral. Like, Hey, this is nice. I'm glad they called me. <laughs> Which one of us is dead? <laughs> Peter Parker. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Well, that's a great way to end it. This episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while also getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Hunted won't be over without an obligatory epilogue issue to close out the series. We always get one of these, whether it's deserving or not. Right, Mark? Absolutely. We, we love our epilogues here. Well, find out what you, Mark, and I thought in our review of Amazing Spider-Man number 23. Hey, man, we are, we are branding and, and branching out and, and referencing movies. It's, it's all about that. But no, what we're actually here to talk about, Dan, of course, is the newest issue of Amazing Spider-Man. That's issue number 23 slash 824 for those still keeping up with that legacy numbering. This is the epilogue of Hunted. In case you just didn't get quite enough of the of that storyline, there's one more part for you. <laughs> and add another artist onto this book. Yes, but this is it's Ryan Otley, and I hope you agree with me here. Welcome back, Ryan Otley. Right? Yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, a lot of this issue is like silent, so we really get to see him kind of like strut his stuff. Yeah, which makes me think like, oh man, why wasn't this guy drawing this book the whole time? <laughs> I think there's only so fast he can produce artwork. I know, I know. It's just very frustrating when like you're like, oh wow, like Kraju or, you know, <laughs> sorry. I know Craven's kid, he looks like everything looks really cool and and kind of, you know, little different and edgy and I think like this storyline really could have used that throughout. 
Uh, but instead, we get it in the epilogue. Mark, I want to correct you. Uh, this is not Craven's kid. This is Craigu. Alan has demanded that, and we're sticking with it. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Craigu. Let this is. character forever be known as Craigu. Yes, I'm, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I'm sorry to Alan. So so why don't you bring us in, Dan? What do we got going on here besides a lot of silence and a lot of cool artwork? Uh, what, what's being epilogued here? What, what else do we need to know about the aftermath of Hunted? Well, in case you didn't know, Craven is now dead. And so there's this really nice little party going on where they're burying Craven. And by they, I mean Kraju and like a bunch of randos. Who I'm like, oh, okay, I guess Craven had like some buddies or something. Or like they run the Craven estate. Where is this located? Is this Central Park? Because he was originally buried in Central Park, right? In some ambiguous cemetery in Central Park. But now we're I, I don't know where quite where 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 we are. Nor nor do I know. We do know that the Avengers are there after like the force field comes down and they're just kinda like, huh, well this isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a verbatim what they say. <laughs> I mean, it, it, all the way down to Captain America telling kind of a waka waka himself, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, we'll get to that in a minute. I liked this opening. I thought it was really kind of like nice, the silent moments. After the funeral, we get like Kreju destroying his father's memorabilia, which I found to be interesting. I mean, he, he must be angry, obviously, that he killed his own father, you know, inadvertently. But, you know, an, an interesting way to see like like what is powering this character is this kind of rage both at himself and his father's legacy in, in some way. It's a Spider-Man book and we got to have some form of Craven going on, I guess, right? <laughs> I mean, you Well, know. yeah, that, that's like the weirder thing about this issue and the story overall, I think from like a helicopter point of view is – this issue kind of underlines that nothing really happened in this story. And not all comics need to move a you know, major plot forward. But I can't help but think like a lot of the stuff we learn in this issue kind of showcases how like trivial this whole story was, right? Like we've got Craven who's killed, and we got another Craven that's for all intents and purposes, the same dude taking his place. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if I could just cut you off immediately with that, Dan, I mean, it just, it just demonstrates the, the, like you said, the true lack of consequences here. And I'm, I'm about to make a real, I'm going to make a hot take here, Dan. At some point, can we just end these legacy characters? You know what I mean? Like if you're going to kill a Craven again, let's just like no more Craven, no more, no more Craven off stuff. Like it's just over. You know what I mean? Like why, let's, let's find other characters to do stories with. Like, why does there need to be, now, Kraju carrying on the legacy, vowing vengeance against Spider-Man, because we're just going to get the same kind of stuff, the Scott Evil version of Dr. Evil instead. I, I just don't care for it. Like, 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 like there's nothing about Craven Jr. that enthralls me or captivates me. I mean, I know, like you said, him inadvertently killing his dad gives him a certain pathos. I guess that's kind of interesting. But at the end of the day, like this was supposed to be like the end all be all Kravenoff story. And it's like, we're just going to end up rehashing this at some point down the line when someone wants to play with the Kravenoff lineage again. And we're going to be back here again. And I'm just done with it. Like, let's just move on. 
No more goblins. No more Kravenovs. Like, come on. Move on. Move on, creators. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like this is, like, bound to happen. It's almost like the will of, like, the force in, you know, Spider-Man comics is that nobody can truly go away. And so it ends up removing any and all of the stakes of it. Like, it seems like this was done just to clear up the character and allow him to move past being the guy that killed himself, right? But, like, that was interesting. And undoing this now and just getting Craven back almost undoes that interesting. And now it's like it's been undone twice. And inevitably, someone will do that same story-ish thing again. Like, when we get Craven's new hunt or whatever it is. It was such a pivotal moment for the character. You can't really escape the shadow of that. And, you know, maybe someone will do something interesting with this new guy. But he's just craving again. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm open to it, but it seems like it was done just for the very nature of cleaning things up. And I just don't think cleaning things up is enough for a story. I mean, especially when you consider the fact – like, I actually kind of liked the whole premise of, you know, going back to the gauntlet and the storyline during the the Brand New Day era when they resurrect Craven the first time and the fact that he doesn't want to be back. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that was a really cool twist. Like, it's like they, they go through all these paces. His family goes through all these paces to bring him back. And then it's just like, no, why the hell did you do that? And and basically him trying to find every way possible to undo that error. And now it's been undone. So, like, again, like I said, like, to me, this this closes the loop. The story is over. And you're right. It's inevitable in comics. But, like... If it ever was a time to close the loop for good, I feel like this is where you close the loop on Kravenoff, and we're just not going to get it. So I guess moving forward, we do. I don't know. <laughs> well, for me, this is like, uh, you know, complicated by the fact that, like, we have other reveals here that, like, when the force field comes down and we see the Avengers there, there's no seemingly additional stakes for who has been killed as an animal character. That never escalated. And the same is true when we go inside the Plaza Hotel. It seems like only Bob died, the one death that we saw. Was there really any real conflict in the story at all? If we already saw all the people that died, that's it? Like two people, maybe three people died? I guess it's like what? We we saw the death of the Iguana, the Gibbon, and Bob. That was that was the death toll here. Yeah, and this and this book... Earlier, it made it seem like it was just total carnage in this book. Uh, and that wasn't the case or the characters are so insignificant, it didn't matter. And it all it all seems for the sake of just setting other things up. So like the vulture gets captured along with Tarantula. And now it's they're going to start their own Savage Six with like Vulture, Tarantula, Scorpion, Cobra, Stegron, and Rhino. Okay, so we did the whole Vulture thing just to set up another story down the line. And I can't help but feel like all these book is doing is just setting up things for future to happen down the line. And I hope that something actually happens and we don't just spend those future stories setting up more future stories. One of those future stories is uh, we kind of get some resolution to the Vulture's evolution during the storyline. He, he now is the leader of his own uh, team of six villains, the Savage Six, with Tarantula, Scorpion, Cobra, Stegron, and Rhino. I mean, that's quite a hodgepodge. I kind of feel weird with Rhino being in there. I know he felt betrayed by Spider-Man, but I don't know. I kind of liked the idea of Rhino being like a free agent who 
still wasn't fr- friends with Spider-Man, but like wasn't going to like go in with the group again, right? I mean, any of these things are temporary. Like the Savage Six, okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> I just hope that when that story comes, something actually happens in it. But then like another thing gets undone too, like Black Ant, right? He's about to get beat up by all these guys and he's saved by the Taskmaster. And there's a great joke where Taskmaster's like, if you were in the same situation, you would have turned on me and saved me as well, which is like, that's funny, but there goes any further moment forward momentum for the black ant and taskmaster relationship. It's just like, Oh, it's back to status quo again. Right. And you know, they're, and I guess they're back to just being like hired goons in this universe, which is, I mean, fine. What changed? What, what are the consequences of anything from the storyline? The most consequential story yet. The first issue is the most consequential story of this entire run. You know, we've just been kind of like resetting the the deck chairs on the Titanic for the rest of the time. Yeah. So then the other big moment, we have black cat returning Billy Connors to his mom and dad or to his mother. I feel like you have some issues going on with, with how Kurt Connors is left in this storyline, right? Right. I mean, I think the implication here is that like without the inhibitor chip, Kurt is now like at the mercy of turning into the lizard. And, uh, you know, we kind of see that even in this issue. It's not, like, explicit, but, like, there's an image of him on the ground in Central Park and then kind of like a close-up of the lizard's eye, um, you know, after changing. I continue to have this question, like, why does Kurt have two arms? Before I could no-prize it and say, like, you know, the inhibitor chip, it must be allowing him to control what element of the metamorphosis that he wants. But now it's like, wait a minute, why does this character have two arms? And like, where does that come from? Because it's consistent across different artists. Maybe, you know, Nick Spencer is writing this. I don't know. It's very strange to me. They're all referencing the same first issue that shows him with two arms. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on this? Like, just a mistake? Are we 100% sure that we didn't establish somewhere that there's some kind of prosthetic or anything like that? I don't think so. I went all the way back to the Dan Slott run the last time that he was a human and he's still missing that arm. Maybe there's something in the clone conspiracy that I missed or something. I I don't know, but it kind of removes the, like what makes that character interesting. He's almost more like mobile as the lizard in some way. Yeah. Turning into the lizard is an advantage to him. If he can control it somehow, like the animal side, but now like, yeah, what's the point? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't have a no prize guest for you here, Dan, nor do I have a theory. I, 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 it's, it's kind of wild. A kind of a subtle change, and I, I will say this probably was like, even though it's kind of a one-off moment, might have been one of my favorite parts of this issue, just for its sheer creepiness, especially with Otley's work here. We 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 kind of get a little bit of resolution or or next steps of evolution for the for Vermin. Multiple versions of him kind of appear out of the shadows to attack someone on the, uh, in the subways. Uh, super creepy, right? <laughs> like terrifying. Yeah, yeah terrifying is, is the word for it. I, I didn't love Vermin's role in this story, this random thing where he becomes a bunch of people. But like it seems to me almost like a Nick Spencer being like, let's update this character and give him like nothing new to do and, and maybe make him more Vermin-like. And I like the idea that he's like a swarm of rats now. Right. Like that is very vermin like. Yeah. And if you have like a, a, a storyline where like vermin is just like, you know, killing random people 
in, you know, in, in the shadows like this and, and, and Spider-Man has to go contend with it. I think that could be a good story for a couple of issues. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a six part story, although, you know, maybe Nick Spencer will try, but like that, that could, that could be fun and creepy and could really bring out the best in Otley. So, I mean, let's see, let's see where that goes. Yeah, I like the idea that Spider-Man has like a villain that's like multiple people in, in some way. I don't know if it's like a hive mind or whatever, but I don't think he has like a foe that's like multiple bodied. Yeah, multiple bodied and also like we do sometimes lose sight of the fact that it, it is Spider-Man and, and spider, you know, spiders are obviously carnivorous animals, if you will, and they're kind of creepy and, and skin crawly on their own. So to kind of like have... Spider-Man versus the rat <laughs> you know, or the swarm of rats. I, I think there's like a lot of potential, especially if it's drawn by the right artists of like a really creepy Halloweenish kind of uh, motif of a story that that is like like of the monster magazine form. But obviously with the Spider-Man sensibilities, I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching things out here, but I think it could be pretty cool. But I think the real highlight of this issue is how it ends. Or like right before it ends, which is like Peter this whole time is freaking out that something is going on with MJ because of the mist that he'd been huffing that showed him like a potential future with glass and blood on the floor in the apartment. And so he swings over and the window is legitimately broken and he goes in and there's blood all over the floor. So, so far, so good. And there's a scream that comes and we discover that MJ slipped on some of Peter's costumes or clothes and put her arm through the window and, you know, cut herself up and then was screaming because she saw Peter in the black costume, which is a nice callback. What did you think of this moment? Because honestly, I, I, I thought this was great for a number of reasons, but also Alan Shurstel kind of called this all the way back in the first part of our hunted review. Kind of shows that evolution between Peter and MJ that we've been looking for since day one, which is like, you know, like, can we not have... MJ be the damsel in distress, but have her be, you know, a character with her own agency and not always needing to be rescued. So I like that they kind of like, instead of, you know, tap dancing around that, went right to it. And like you noted, there was some good references to earlier stories in terms of the black costume and stuff. It's interesting. I, I, I mean, we'll see where it goes from here, but I feel like we kind of throughout this arc have gotten a moment here and there where MJ actually seems to be evolving as a character, but then like that stuff gets tabled for, you know, them making out while they go bowling or something. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that for me is the big thing is I want to see this followed up on. There's a nice, really touching moment between the two where they embrace and, you know, Peter is crying because he's his fears have so overwhelmed him. And I really liked that a lot. I'm hoping that the conversation evolves into what Alan was getting at in our review, which is, can we address that it isn't just MJ's fears about Peter going out that ended their relationship before, but also Peter's kind of like overly doting attitude where he like feels this kind of immediate reaction that MJ is in trouble and that he has to be the one to save her. And I think like Spider Island was a great way to kind of empower MJ in a way. And I think we're ready for the, this relationship to move forward. And I hope you know, this is a great first step, and I hope we acknowledge it in another issue, which is like them come to terms with like, I don't need to worry about you necessarily. I think this is like exactly what I wanted. I don't know if it's totally earned. The shush thing is wearing on me, but in, in its own way, I, this was a nice moment. All right. Well, you just mentioned shush. So we obviously get some reveals here in terms of setup. 
What'd you think of this? I mean, we're, 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 we're getting more hints, but again, we're still kind of like, can we just get to this already? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Am I, am I, am I getting impatient here, Dan? Am I poo-pooing long form storytelling right now? No, I don't think so. For me, the shush thing is like, I need to see him take action. Now, what's interesting here is that he specifically spells out or he, it, whatever it is, spells out that he, it is not willing to take action, Right. Just like we talked about before, in his centipede form, it, he, whatever, they suggest that they don't want to harm MJ because she's innocent and cares for innocence. And what Shush is really doing is trying to protect her from Peter's damage, right? Peter is the one that's going to end up harming her to the point of killing her. And when Peter does that, it will allow for Peter and Shush to be alone. And this is what's confused me. I'm sorry if I'm speaking kind of like broken up here because I'm trying to get this right in my head, which is Shush both expresses a desire to protect MJ from the damage Peter might will ultimately do to her, but also seems to express joy about that, that they'll finally be alone together. I also want to like, and I'm not trying to be overly pedantic here, but do want to keep pointing out the fact that he doesn't refer to Peter as Peter. He, he refers to him as Pete. Which I still think is key is a key to this, because Pete is always a familiarity. There's an intimate familiarity with with Peter Parker from this person. It seems clear to me that Nick Spencer is really working over these words, like they are deliberately chosen, each word that we get. But it is very confusing, which like to me suggests it's not like a simple answer. You know, I've seen a lot of people thinking that it's like Carly Cooper. But, like, there's a certain amount of history implied here, like, knowing how many people Peter has injured and this desire to, like, own Peter in some way. I really, like, I mean, my initial guess remains my best guess, but there's such conflicting suggestions here. It almost implies, like, a level of, like, fate, right? It's like, I'm not going to hurt this person, but I know that you are going to hurt them, which will inevitably bring us together. It's it's so strange to me. I, I don't really know what to think of it. I agree with you. I still think your initial guess about who this character is or the relation here is probably the closest version to the truth. I've had a couple of people who are really pushing the theory. And I think we talked about this on the show a few, a few times uh, that it's maybe the, the, the corpse of uh, Otto Octavius when it had Peter's mind in it, which I guess it's possible, but like I kind of feel like that loop was closed and dead no more with that with that character, if you will. Yeah, that seems like a reach for me, and I'm happy to be ro- proven wrong here. I think we're going to find out in like what two issues who this person is. I imagine issue 25, the big one they've been advertising, is going to really kind of like blow this open. I mean, in an ideal world, I wish Peter and this character interacted more specifically. But maybe 25, the reveal will really lay out why that wasn't the case. I'm still interested, but I feel like now we're starting to really kind of like hem over the same clues over and over again now. And not for nothing. I mean, I I think I might actually be a little disappointed at that. The reveal is it's somehow related to Otto and Superior because like – Again, I'm, I'm, I feel like a lot of the Nick Spencer run, and this is not a knock on Dan Slott, but it's kind of been like putting the Dan Slott run in the rearview mirror. We've been cleaning things up. We've been kind of correcting things that maybe Nick is uncomfortable writing about or maybe thinks he shouldn't have been done, whatever, however you want to frame phrase it. I think to go back to that storyline and like kind of 
bring that forward here is would be a step in the in the wrong direction for this run, and I think would then bring us bring it bring everything back to dance slot and superior and everything that happened there. So I do want to say that, like, just definitively, if if that does end up being the reveal, it's going to be disappointing to me. I, I'm trying to have an open mind, but like, I just want to put that out there. And that's why I'm sticking with my original theory is that it's some corrective thing on the Peter Parker marriage, because so much of this book has been his whole first year spent. Cor- seemingly correcting things. I think often at the expense of, you know, moving Peter forward as a character, but like, what's the ultimate thing to correct? It's like dealing with the marriage. And that's why I've still kind of clung to that. It's like, that seems to be Spencer's MO is like going back and dealing with things that bother him. So this would fall right in line with that. We'll find out soon enough. It's all too vague and bizarre for me to really grasp onto. It's probably some really weird, high-minded comics thing. So, I mean, we're going to find out sooner or later. At least I hope so. I hope it doesn't become a bungled Hobgoblin thing. But um, I feel like the writing on this one is a lot more, like, nailed down. So, of course, after the the shush reveal, we kind of get some final moments with the family Kravenoff and Kraju. Like, as we alluded to earlier, he has assumed the mantle of his father. Surprise. (laughs) <laughs> but then we do get we do get a pretty cool reveal on the very last page, right? Yeah, it's um you know we, we see these guys from earlier that we mentioned that are like at the funeral, the random dudes, and it turns out one of them is the chameleon who is kind of acting grateful that like Craven didn't include him in the big hunt, you know, in that his name is animalistic, and because chameleon really was a part of the great sin you know, perpetrated upon Craven, right? Chameleon was part and parcel with bringing him back from the dead, which he went through his whole family and killed everybody involved in that. So in a way, I think Chameleon is like thankful that he did not suffer the same fate. I don't know, Mark. I thought the art here was super cool. Even if I'm like a little uncomfortable with Chameleon having shape-shifting powers. <laughs> what is this character's powers? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it changes like a Chameleon. I'll say that. I tend to think – I'm with you. I feel like – I mean, A, let's make it consistent. But like if I'm being like a total like nerd about this, like I, I kind of hate the idea of Chameleon having shape-shifting abilities. I mean to me like – the definitive version of of, Cra- of Chameleon still remains that Fred Van Lente story um, where he's like, you know, basically kidnapping and murdering people and melting their faces off and assuming their identities. I mean, that is like Chameleon, like creepy, crawly Chameleon to a T. So I, I do hope that we get some references to that if we're going to move forward with this character. It's just not fun if you can't pull off his mask at some point, right? Like if he's a shapeshifter, he's literally – Mystique. That's a very different thing than the kind of like grounded chameleon character that we got where it's like it can be solved. He's a different character. I feel like it fundamentally changes the character if his power set is upgraded in that way. But it was still a cool visual and cool to see this character come back. I think he's also a really underserved character. I understand that his powers aren't, like I said, in my ideal version as like whimsical and crazy in terms of like big powered fights with spider with spider-man but the kind of like deception and ability that he has to kind of screw up peter's personal life i feel like has not been fully utilized so i'm excited to have him back although i got to admit i wish this had built a little bit better 
these characters that are introduced at the beginning of the story, we've never seen them before. So the reveal that one of them is Chameleon is not much of a reveal because it's like, oh, you mean the character I've never seen before is Chameleon? Great. It's kind of like Roderick uh, Kingsley and his brother is his not a twin brother, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's happening. <laughs> so to me, this issue I think is more fine on its own than it is. It's like the arc itself has not been one that we've particularly loved. It is an appropriately done and executed epilogue issue and sets up a lot of stuff for the, I'm assuming the next year of Spider-Man. So in that essence, it's, it's well done, but I mean, we're wrapped, like, like you said, we're wrapping up something that we weren't completely fond of anyway. So, and I'm, I'm, I, you know, like I said in the beginning, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just close the door on Kravenoff stuff. I'm, I'm really annoyed that Kraju is carrying on the mantle. It's like, it seems to so utterly predictable in the worst way. Yeah. At least give me a new wrinkle for the character. You know what I mean? This one uses lasers. I don't know. <laughs> Something. Well, the Hold old on. one used lasers. That's true, from his nipples. Um, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anything. Maybe maybe he has double lasers in his nipples. That could be something. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Double nipple, nipple lasers. I'll take it. So, what do you think of this issue, Mark? I guess on its own. It's well executed on its own rights, although it's not my favorite story to be executing an epilogue from, so I'm going to give it a C plus. And I'm giving it a B minus. I think it's got some highlights in it that are worth noting. So, And read it for Otley's artwork at the very least, because like that's, there's some brilliant stuff from Otley here. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody at home for tuning in and, and listening to the show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're kind of ready to put Hunted in the rearview mirror, and I think the next few issues, if the tease is anything to be, you know, like, believed, we're going to get some shush stuff, and that has me excited. All right, I'm ready for some shush, Dan. Let's do it. I hope the name is revealed to be shush. Like, just give me that win. (laughs) Well, they already stole Red Goblin from us, Dan. What else can they steal? (laughs) I mean, look, take shush. I won't even take credit for it in any way because I didn't come up with it. Like, shush needs to be the name. I don't want any of this, like, scenty demon stuff that we see online. That's just way less fun to me. Give me some shush. Okay, everyone, thanks again for joining us for our review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you all enjoyed our coverage of Hunted. What's coming down the pipeline for us in the near future, Dan? Yeah, well, we've got, as teased before, our ninth episode of Season 3 coming at you, where, Mark, you and I are going to tackle the first few years of the Spider-Man newspaper strip by Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. What are we, Mark, back in Season 2 of our show? No, it's Season 3. The Lee Lee and Ramita Senior Connection back together again. Woo! All right, I can't I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week, where we've already got special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue number twenty-seven. Today, we talked about how Hunted concluded. But if you're enjoying Amazing Spider-Man every other week, why not help support our show and get caught up with all of the opinions of that story at the same time? Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, b-book reviews, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time from Barry Kitson as he depicts the tremendously sad moment that Spider-Man learned of Gwen Stacy's demise. 
So sad, Mark. So sad. Who could have seen it coming? Nobody, Dan. Nobody. Well, also, if you want more Spider-Man goodness, check out our sister show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, as this week they discuss the epic graphic novel Amazing Spider-Man Hooky, that very strange, very strange graphic novel. Epic is one word I don't know I would have ever used to describe that, but absolutely check it out. Okay, well, plus we've got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join. Just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community where you can dispute whether or not the use of the word epic was appropriate for describing amazing Spider-Man hooky. I, I, I love when we pick nits, Dan. It's so great. And speaking of picking nits, Dan, where can we find you on social media? I'm always picking nits over at at SupSpiderTalk on Twitter. Also, check out our new Instagram for Amazing Spider Talk. It's at Amazing Spider Talk. I'm experimenting with that format and trying out new things over on Instagram. I'm not sure how successfully, but I'll leave it to you guys to let me know. Now, how is that for an advertisement? Mark, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. You can always buy my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And I am on, I'm on Instagram. I mean, it's usually me posting about running and beer, but that's, I'm at Mark Janacchio. So why don't you check me out on Instagram and then sign up for our Amazing Spider-Talk Instagram page, right? I'm always loving how much you're living both a healthier and less healthy life than I am at any given t- point in time. You're like the Pandora's box of exercise. I, I am the Schrodinger's, Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat of, of, of uh, health. You know, there you go. Uh, you, that, that is what I meant the, to say. The, 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 cat, the cat is either um, running a marathon or really drunk. Or both. You just don't know until you open the box. <laughs> it's weird that Amazing Spider-Man talking is kind of falls directly in the middle of your behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, as we're pondering that, there's plenty of other things to ponder, like the motto for our show, which we're sure to give you a think. Mark, what is that thing we're going to be thinking about this week? Of course, we will be thinking with great podcasts must also come the all new Amazing Spider Talk. 